Welcome to the Real Truth Matters podcast. I'm Dan Harder, your host. The RTM podcast is all about showing you how to live in biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect. And now, here's Real Truth Matters founder and director, Michael Durham. Thanks, Dan, and welcome to Episode 50 and Season 2, Episode 17. Think of it. 50 episodes, and we just celebrated our first anniversary of the Real Truth Matters podcast. We're so grateful for all of you who listen, and you are the reason we do this. Well, we're discussing biblical faith, and it would be good to do a quick review. Faith is acting on the reality that God shows you concerning His will. It's an act of faith to commit yourself to doing what you believe God has commanded. It's also faith to live according to the insight that God gives about the reality of a particular situation. The source of our faith is, as always, God's Word illuminated and revealed to us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. You see, you simply cannot believe God for something He has not said. Therefore, faith is activated in you when God reveals His Word to your life and situation. And so, our working definition of faith is this, acting like something is real because it's real to you. That's how faith functions at its core. Today, I want to talk with you about the two kinds of biblical faith stated in the Scriptures. There are two kinds of faith that a Christian can exhibit, and both come from God, as we've already discussed. The two kinds of faith are the grace of faith and the gift of faith. Let's discuss the grace of faith, and then we'll turn our attention to the gift of faith. I get the term, the grace of faith, from Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 12, verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Before you were converted, you really didn't have faith in God. Oh, you may have believed there was a God, but you didn't exercise any kind of faith that was both biblical and pleasing to God. And that's because your nature was so vehemently opposed to God that you just couldn't put your trust in Him. However, when the Lord in His mercy regenerated you and gave you a new heart, He put within that heart spiritual faith, which goes beyond just knowing there's a God to a confidence in Him. It's this measure of faith that Paul is speaking about. God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. The Christian can and does exercise faith in God and his Christ. So the grace of faith is as it sounds, a faith that is born of grace and sustained by grace. In addition, it's a grace that you always possess once it's given to you. You'll never run out of it. It never leaves you. You may not exercise it, but it doesn't disappear or depart. It's a part of the new spirit, which means it's a part of you. It's an integral component of your spiritual DNA. You may struggle to trust God at times, but even then something in you still looks to him and has confidence in God. 
It's this faith that we live by. It's the primary faith we exercise. Most Christians may never experience the gift of faith, but all definitely experience the grace of faith. As Paul said, God has given each of his children a measure of faith. The implication is that not all are given the same measure or amount of faith. This is how all graces work. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that he outlabored the original apostles. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, Paul writes this, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. End of quote. His meaning is very clear. God gave him a measure of grace that he didn't give the other apostles. Perhaps the amount of faith was more, or it was a different kind of faith that he did not provide the twelve. I don't know. But either way, God sovereignly dispenses his graces, which includes faith. Now, you have some bearing on the degree your faith grows or weakens. The grace of faith can increase or it can decrease. Faith isn't static. It rises or falls based upon how we either nurture it or not. It's not that you receive more faith, but your faith itself is enlarged or strengthened by direct experience with God. We'll deal with all of this in our next episode, but to serve us now, I remember an illustration from my youth. I remember as a boy hearing my pastor say, faith is like your muscles. You don't get any new muscles, but through exercise, you can make the muscles you do have to grow. And that's the way faith works. We don't add faith to faith, but faith is strengthened and grows in relation to its ability to see God. And like the body's muscles, faith can also grow weak. Without the Word of God feeding faith, faith is weakened. Without exercise, proper diet, and rest, the muscles will atrophy. And something of the same happens to faith if it isn't properly exercised, nourished, and rejuvenated. This is the faith that Christ criticized his disciples for having, a weak faith. The faith that came to them by grace became polluted with a faith that was not from God. And this can happen to the grace of faith. While this kind of faith has God only as its object, we often direct our attention to other things in which we trust. We mix the two, and our faith becomes, well, double-minded. The faith that God grants to all His children is pristine and pure faith, but we adulterate it with our competing trust and loyalties. However, the opposite is true. The grace of faith can grow to perfect or mature faith. Again, the issue is not that you increase in the amount of faith you have. You either have faith in someone or you don't. The issue is the quality of the faith. That's what I mean by faith growing. Again, an illustration from the human physique may aid us. The amount of muscles you're born with does not increase or decrease over your lifespan. If a man eats properly, lifts weights, his muscle mass may grow, but he doesn't have any new sets of muscles. He has the same amount that he had at birth. What has happened is that he's exercised his muscles and they have enlarged by stress and repair. And if he stops lifting weights, he should lose muscle mass. 
he's not losing the amount of muscles he had. No, he still has the same muscles he was born with. He's simply losing the size of those muscles. When one is born again and becomes a Christian, normally their faith is not mature. Like a newborn babe, the muscles are underdeveloped, but they're there. They're just not very strong. And they must learn that God can be trusted in all weathers and seasons. However, faith in oneself, it's still strong and active and often hinders the pure seed of faith from thriving, choking it until there's little fruit. And finally, the grace of faith can be employed by both objective and subjective truth. Now, objective truth is the Bible. That is the chief word of God, and it's the final authority over all truth claims. It's the embodiment of all the truth needed to get us home safely. Nevertheless, the objective truth of the Bible is not the only way God communicates with his saints. The Lord can speak to us directly and immediately. I, I spent a great deal of time and effort to make this argument from Scripture and show how church history gives an illustration. Again, I would refer you to last year's podcast and the earlier episodes. Having said that, let me hasten to say that there is no room for the subjective that is not tied to the objective truth of God's Word, which means that there is room for a subjective kind of experience that is deeply connected to Scripture. Therefore, if the subjective experience of God speaking to you personally and directly is built upon the immovable, unshakable Word of God, then let us welcome it. But more than that, I have to say that any Christianity that either dismisses or is devoid of the subjective is not biblical Christianity. When God reveals His will, or as I like to say it, His reality about a given situation, that personal word to you will cause faith to rise and you will believe. It's the grace of faith that lives and thrives from God's Word. And the predominant way God speaks is through His holy and inspired scriptures. But secondly, He can speak a word that is effectual in the heart of His child. It will not contradict the Bible, but it will address personal areas of your life where the Bible may offer little to no direction. Well, that is the grace of faith. It's the faith that the Lord grants at the time of conversion. And in the first moments of life, it is the very act of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and the redemption he offers. It's by this faith that you and I live as it is written. The just shall live by faith. Well, let's proceed to the second kind of biblical faith, which is the gift of faith. This is what the Apostle Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He says, to another faith by the same Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, the apostle is dealing with spiritual gifts and the abuse of certain gifts in the church of Corinth. Sign gifts like tongues were elevated above other gifts, and the church gatherings became chaotic. So to remedy this, Paul writes three chapters to explain the spiritual gifts that were transitory in nature. 
these gifts differed from the more permanent gifts that we've already discussed in Romans chapter 12. And what I mean by transitory is that these gifts were not like the gift of teaching or service or giving found in Romans 12 and other New Testament passages. No, those gifts were to be the equipment given to a believer to serve the Lord and his church. For example, if you're given the gift of exhortation mentioned in Romans 12, verse 8, you have a ministry of exhorting. You're more likely the one who has been gifted to preach, or if you've been given the gift of mercy, which is also listed in Romans 12, 8. Then you have a lifelong ministry of serving the hurting and those struggling. These gifts don't naturally come and go. They remain with the Christian. But the gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12 are all transitory, meaning they come and they go. They're not permanent gifts residing with the believer. I think it would help if we just simply read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. The Apostle Paul begins by segregating different functions among the Trinity of God. The gifts he attributes to the Spirit, ministries to the Lord Jesus, activities to God the Father. Now, Paul says gifts are the administration of the Holy Spirit, and none of these gifts, including the gift of faith, are gifts that have the sense of permanence. Instead, they seem to be given at particular times for particular situations. They can come and go as the Spirit deems. In verse 7, the Apostle Paul calls these gifts a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. In verse 4, he called them gifts. But in verse 7, he doesn't call them a gift. He calls them a manifestation. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. That's verse 4. Now in verse 7, talking about the same gifts, he says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Now, why would he change in midstream and call the gifts by a different designation? Well, the reason is that Paul wanted the Corinthians to understand that these gifts differ from the permanent gifts of the Spirit. 
they are truly temporary or short-lived in experience. Now, that doesn't mean that one could not be used frequently in one of the nine gifts that he lists here in chapter 12. It simply means the believer doesn't have possession of these gifts. It's not like a gift you receive from someone on your birthday where it's yours to do with as you please. The use of these gifts is a real manifestation of the Spirit of God. It's He, the Spirit, who determines when these gifts are to be exercised. Some of the gifts had more input from the person exercising them, such as tongues. But even in the end, all of these nine gifts were to be regulated by the Spirit who gave them, and that's why Paul calls them a manifestation of the Spirit. Not even the apostles could use these gifts when they desired or deemed necessary. For example, at times Paul could heal all that came to him, and at another time he had to leave Trophimus sick in Miletus, 2 Timothy 4, verse 20. So, what is the gift of faith? It is a faith given by the Holy Spirit for a particular need or crisis. It is God given a person his word concerning the reality of a matter so that person can exercise faith in a specific moment for a specific thing. Remember, faith is the substance and evidence of something unseen deposited in the heart by God's word. As the grace of faith works in the realm of the objective word of God, the gift of faith works in the realm of the subjective word of God. Let me cite some biblical examples. Take, for example, the healing of the lame man at the beautiful gate of the temple in Acts 3. Peter and John didn't go to the temple to perform a miracle. It was the hour of prayer. Undoubtedly, they had gone to the temple at the same hour before this day, which means they would have passed this lame man before. But as they entered that particular day, something happened to Peter. The Bible says, Acts chapter 3, verse 4, And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. Faith filled the heart of Peter to believe God for this lame man's healing. God subjectively and immediately prompted Peter's heart, which generated the faith to believe for the healing. And so Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Another example proving the principle of the gift of faith is the cursing of Elimus in Acts chapter 13, verses 6 through 11. Pay close attention to the words, Paul filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, and he said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him. 
by the hand. Now, here's my question for you. Why does Luke expend the energy, time, and ink to tell us that Paul was spirit-filled? We already knew that. The spirit-filled Paul when Ananias prayed for him three days after the Damascus Road experience. So why does Luke make it a point to remind us? And the answer is that it is not a reminder of Paul's initial filling with the Spirit, but to inform the reader that at that precise moment, something supernatural occurred. At that moment, the Spirit came and empowered Paul with the gift of faith to perform this amazing miracle. The gift of faith is imparted in special moments as God wills. You and I have no control or say as to when this impartation of faith will happen. But when it happens, you know it's happened. This kind of faith always arrives with full assurance. You cannot explain it. You just know that you know. This is the kind of faith that Jesus called great faith. He gave that compliment that said the person exercised great faith, and he did so on two occasions. One was the centurion who believed Jesus could heal his servant, and the other was the Syrophoenician woman who would not be put off by the Lord. Several years ago, when I was a pastor, a man who was suffering an ailment called storming thyroid was brought up in our Sunday evening prayer meeting. Now, when this happens, the thyroid goes full-blown and overworks itself. The heart races and beats irregularly with an extremely high fever, and blood pressure elevates to dangerous numbers. It's an acute, life-threatening ailment. The risk is either a fatal heart attack or severe stroke. On Monday, the next day, they were going to have to shock his system in order to bring the thyroid back into rhythm. This procedure itself had very great risk. And as it came to me to pray, I prayed and I sensed we had the ear of God and had this immediate witness in my heart, this joy that God had heard us and we had received the answer. And so I began to praise the Lord and told the men that God had heard our prayers and the man would be healed. The next day, I received the report that he had an immediate turnaround during the night. All symptoms disappeared, and he was discharged on Monday. The Lord let me see what was true reality in this man's case. I think that's what this gift of faith is. One night, my wife Karen and I visited a couple in our church. The husband's phone started ringing, and we could all tell something was wrong. After the phone call, he said to us that his daughter, who had been diagnosed and was being treated for leukemia, had pneumonia, and so they were transferring her to Vanderbilt immediately, which was two hours south of where we lived. A leukemia patient's immune system is already low, but the chemotherapy only worsens the problem, and so this night was very serious, and the potentiality was fatal. We all gathered and prayed, and as Karen and I were leaving, I sensed the word of the Lord, and I turned around before walking out the door and told the couple that the daughter was going to be just fine. By the time she got to Vanderbilt, her fever had broken, all symptoms of the pneumonia were gone, the x-rays showed no pneumonia, while the x-rays at our local hospital did. So after Vanderbilt examined her, they discharged her and said nothing was wrong. Now, friends, don't look at me. I've prayed for people at other times, and they've not recovered. Some have 
died. Now, I know some of you will discount all that I have said and probably never listen to the podcast ever again. But that matters little to me. I know what happened, and so do those who were involved. But the gift of faith is real, and it happens not as one would dictate, but as the Holy Spirit dictates. It is the manifestation of Him, Himself, for His glorious purposes. But whether you experience the gift of faith or not, You are to exercise the grace of faith. Grace is God's activity that He has promised to work in our lives. And therefore, you can live by grace through faith. The grace of faith is that faith that came to you at conversion and it feeds and thrives on the written Word of God as the Holy Spirit illuminates it to your understanding. That is the grace of faith. And that's how we live and ought to live as we keep our focus upon Him. Well, before we leave you today, I want to tell you that we're making available my book, The Vita Faith, How a Christian Can Experience Assurance of Salvation. And if you'd like a copy, you can get it for a reduced price right now. While we discuss faith on this podcast in these weeks, you can get a copy of the book for $9.99. We also have it in an e-format for $7.99. And all you need to do to secure your copy is to go to the RTM website, Real Truth Matters, realtruthmatters.com, and just follow the link to the book. And while you're at the website, please take advantage of the wealth of resources that are there for free download. And join us again next week as we continue to examine biblical faith. Well, on behalf of all of us here at Real Truth Matters Ministries, thank you for tuning in. And may the Lord richly bless you with His love in a real and tangible way. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Truth Matters podcast. I hope you can see that Christianity is profoundly experiential but always based on the objective truth of Scripture. If you have questions or comments, please send them to our email address, web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web at realtruthmatters.com. Real Truth Matters podcast, dedicated to biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect.